Welcome to the Business Resilience Decoded podcast, brought to you by Asfalis Advisors and the Disaster Recovery Journal. Crisis management in today's world is ever-changing, and this podcast is our commitment to help you navigate successful outcomes for any crisis you may face. I'm your host, Vanessa Matthews. I specialize in providing insights and solutions for crisis, continuity, and resilience across industries from real estate and healthcare to terrorism in the airline and transportation worlds. No matter what industry you're in, this podcast will provide you the tools to build resilience in your organization. We have an accomplished guest lined up for you today speaking on the topic of disruptive innovation and design thinking. So let's jump right in and meet our guest, David Phillips from Faster Glass. He is the innovation provocateur. David, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Vanessa. I'm happy to be here. Can you tell our listeners more about you as well as what does innovation provocateur mean? (laughs) Sure. Well, I'll start with the second question. So innovation provocateur, one of the great things about running your own gig is that you can call yourself whatever you want. I, I chose the term provocateur because that's part of what we do is sort of instigate people's thinking. But sometimes I tell people that provocateur is French for knucklehead. (laughs) And for those that know me, they understand why that's so appropriate. (laughs) Makes sense. But to your first question, so I run Faster Glass, which is an innovation training and consulting firm based in Charlotte. And what we do is broadly is we help organizations and leaders learn to see, think, and work differently. And we do that by helping them learn and apply the tools of design thinking, also known as human-centered design, to help them accomplish whatever it is they're trying to accomplish, whether that's trying to solve wicked problems, whether it's designing or improving products or services, or whether it's even crafting experiences, whether that's for customers, employees, or other stakeholders. So can I major in design thinking or was your path to faster glass a bit different? Uh, So my path was quite a bit different. I did not even discover this discipline existed until about 15 years ago. My path is my background's in education. I was a high school teacher and a basketball coach in Louisiana for five years. That was my first real career. From there, I, I moved to Charlotte and bounced across multiple organizations, multiple roles. First, uh, I was at actually at Arthur Anderson, the accounting firm, in a liaison role between IT and the audit practice, uh, which gave me an unbelievable education in lots of realms of business. From there to another accounting firm for a couple of years, and then six years at Bank of America, which is where I discovered uh, design thinking, kind of stumbled across it. Wow. So what does faster glass mean? So that's actually uh, a photography term. So I started the firm in 2010 uh, after six years at B of A, and I was trying to figure out what I was going to call this. I had been an internal innovation consultant there, and now I'm going to be an external consultant, but I didn't, I didn't want to use my name. I didn't want to be the, the Phillips company. Uh, that just didn't work for me. It's fine for other folks. It didn't work for me. So as I was thinking about what do we do and how do I describe it, sometimes I describe what we do is we help people frame their challenges and opportunities differently you know, kind of like a director or like a photographer does. And just a few months before, I'd come across this term in the world of photography called fast glass that professional photographers call their really high-end lenses fast glass. The quality of the glass impacts the quality of the resulting image. And fast glass means you can take pictures even in low light at high shutter speeds and get good quality images. 
So as I thought about that, we actually help organizations frame their challenges and opportunities differently. That term just sort of popped back into my head. And so I decided to call us Faster Glass until I could come up with a better name. And well, that was nine years ago. So I think we're stuck with it. So that's what I love about business owners is just the level of creativity that comes out of that. So what is design thinking? So it can be and is often defined and described in lots of different ways. Uh, We define it as it's a human-centered approach to innovation that embraces empathy and prototyping and failing fast in order to succeed sooner. It borrows uh, greatly from the fields of design, so whether that's graphic designers, uh, industrial designers, experienced designers, uh, but it also encompasses tools and techniques from other fields, such as creative problem solving. Uh, Even behavioral economics uh, has a role in it. And is disruptive innovation, does it go along that same definition or is it something different? So that's yet another term that can be defined different ways. What we find with disruptive innovation is that you can apply the principles and practices of design thinking if your goal is either to be the disruptor or to look at how you might be disrupted and work on those things in advance before someone else disrupts you. Hmm. So the first thing that comes to mind for me is Netflix versus Blockbuster. Absolutely. I mean, that, that's a classic case study for lots of reasons in that Blockbuster was, I mean, they were, they were the big dog, right? They had, I think, 60% plus market share. And oftentimes we'll ask people, you know, how many of you used in, in workshop settings, how many of you used to have a Blockbuster card? Lots of hands go up. How many of you still have a Blockbuster card? You know, almost no hands go up. We asked, well, what happened? Did Blockbuster all of a sudden get terrible at renting videos in stores? You know, and we all know the answer is no. Uh, they simply got disrupted. In fact, in the world of business model innovation, it's actually a verb now. They got Netflixed. Netflixed <laughs> uh, you know what? If, pe- if what people really want is entertainment in their homes, we think there's a better way to get it to them uh, without onerous late fees. Uh, and they just went from there. And then one of the other parts of that story that I find interesting is that Netflix realized that even though they were the disruptor at the time, they were just as uh, ripe for disruption by someone else if they weren't careful, if they if they got too comfortable with the status quo. So even in the early 2000s, before the technology was viable, Netflix was already exploring streaming technology because they could see the future was this notion of DVDs by mail had a limited shelf life. And so they wanted to always be on the front end of what might come next. And, and so far, they've done a pretty good job of, of doing that. Which ties in because many of our listeners have a background in risk or crisis management or information security and just really go to show the importance of making sure that companies are looking ahead And they're clear about what are those things that can put me out of business, which could also be the lack of innovation. So that's a yeah, that's a perfect example. So where did design thinking come from? To my knowledge, it has lots of points of origin. So as I mentioned earlier, the the term design thinking comes from this is how designers from all different uh, disciplines within design have been taught to think and see and work for decades now. It also incorporates elements of creative problem solving, which started in, I think, either the late 50s or early 60s. But more recently, again, to my understanding, sort of the, the focal point or the genesis point of a lot of what is going on today around design thinking really comes from uh, Palo Alto. So from a product design firm called IDEO, which was founded by David Kelly. But Kelly also 
co-founded the Stanford D School or Design School. And between those two entities, they have done an amazing job of both advancing the principles and practices of design thinking, as well as sharing what they've learned and the tools they've developed quite widely and, and rather generously. From your perspective, how does this tie in to the professionals who are involved in business continuity, risk, and crisis management? As an outsider to those fields, although I have some experience in, in some of those things from, from my past, I think there are a couple of different touch points. One that we see across almost every sector and every industry that we work with, because we, we think design thinking absolutely is industry agnostic. So one of the things we see that, we, that I think applies to business continuity, crisis management, risk management, is that it's really easy for organizations and leaders to put too much emphasis on process, right? We know process is important, but sometimes, you know, being a process-driven organization as a strength that can actually, like any other strength, it can be overplayed, over-focus on process or efficiency and lose sight of the human aspects of whatever it is they're trying to do or manage or control. So we think design thinking with its uh, human-centered, again, often known as human-centered design, we think that primary emphasis on both the human experience as well as the impact on people and how people actually react and how they people actually work, understanding that and then designing systems and processes and tools to accommodate people the way they actually are versus how they, we think they are, how we want them to be on a piece of paper, we think that has a huge impact and where design thinking can play a role within uh, these three fields. It sounds like an opportunity for sustainable buy-in. Would you oh, say that that's fair? Uh, I would say that is more than fair. Uh, one of the fundamental tenets of design thinking is that wherever possible, you want to design with and not for your key stakeholders. So whether you're design, whether you're trying to solve problems, designing new products or services, or designing experiences, it's really easy. And this kind of goes back to that process focus. It's really easy to think, well, we know what they need or want, and we'll simply design that for them. And sometimes you're right, but a lot of times you're not. They're just things you don't know, and things you don't know you don't know, or nuances or perspectives you might not appreciate. This notion of designing with, not for. So if you think about stakeholder engagement, whether that's senior leadership, uh, whether it's other people within the organization whose buy-in you need and actually whose perspective and input you need if you really want to design something well. Uh, and so by taking this design with, not for approach, it just by by the fact of doing that, you get more buy-in because it also is a forum. So it allows you to have your stakeholders get a shared understanding of each other's perspectives. And so where you might have competing interests, in my understanding, especially when it comes to risk management, is you're always going to have competing interests. As you get those interests in the room, at the table and, and surface, so we can actually talk through the details and why I think this and why you think that. And by helping get to that shared understanding, which is not the same as consensus, but a shared understanding of why this and why not that. And then soliciting input from these different stakeholders. Okay, well, here's the risk. Here's what we think the impact and probabilities are. Now, how might we address these? And what do you guys think? When everybody has a chance to help bake the cake, they're much more likely to eat and or sell that cake down the road. And that is the goal. Bake the cake and eat the cake. <laughs> you know, if I bake the cake for you, I might be a master cake baker. <laughs> but, you know, I go through all the effort and say, hey, Vanessa, I just made you this awesome coconut cake. What do you think? 
And you're like, uh, I'm allergic to coconut. Well, but I already made it. So on a scale of eight to 10, how much do you love it? You know, by not designing that with you, instead of designing it for you, I miss things. Like, oh, I didn't realize you were allergic to coconut. I wish I would have asked you earlier. Had I invited you into the kitchen with me, we would have we would have discovered that much, much earlier when we actually could have done something with that information. So with this notion of designing with and not for, how does that help risk and continuity professionals to see the risks or the threats that we don't know that we have? Right. The the things that our customers just can't see the unobvious things. Absolutely. So there is one of the tools within design thinking called ethnographic research. Uh, Think of it as observational research. And it's about going to see and going to learn how people actually behave in their real world environments. So if you're doing product development, this is about going beyond surveys and, and voice of customer and understanding reality of customer. So a lot of it is about going into the field, going into where people do what they do that you're trying to impact and really getting a deep, rich understanding of what they do, what they don't do and why. Because seeing people in their environment and then asking questions in in context allows you to, to uncover things that people would not have told you otherwise. And not because they're trying to be deceptive or withholding information. There are things they just wouldn't think to tell you. One of the other things within ethnography is what you want to understand is lived practices as compared to documented processes. In other words, here's what we're supposed to do, but here's what we actually do. Now, whether what we actually do is because we think there's a better way or we don't have what we need or I need a workaround, you know, there are lots of reasons, lots of good reasons are certainly reasons we can rationalize why people do this, why they do what they do instead of what they're supposed to do. Maybe what they're supposed to do, maybe those guidance, maybe that guidance is outdated. Maybe it doesn't incorporate some, you know, some new reality. So by going and seeing for yourself what people actually do and not necessarily to evaluate them, but to learn. Let's go see what people actually do and why. That can then inform either, oh, we need better guidance for them, or we need to update, we need to update our guidance, or we need better training. We need to help them understand why this and not that. Sometimes they just don't understand, you know, the why behind certain protocols or procedures. So by taking that approach, and again, it's a slower approach, but it's also another form of designing with. Let's go understand what you do and let that inform what we do or what we say you should do. How does the lack of innovation result in increased risks and threats? One of the biggest risks to success or to uh, business success is success. The fact that we've been successful to now to get to here, it's easy then to get into this uh, status quo. Let's just keep doing what we've been doing. Let's keep doing what we, we've done to become successful. You know, back to our friends at Blockbuster. They had a formula, they wrote it to the top and it worked right up until it didn't. Not innovating and not constantly being focused on innovation, realizing that what we're doing today may not be good enough to get us to tomorrow. That itself can be a risk, right? It's this risk of status quo. I have a friend who has a great, has a great phrase is, you know the difference between a rut and a grave? Dimensions. And so it's easy for that rut, yeah, or, you know, just put it on autopilot and away we go, that you don't realize that that can become your grave. Uh, there is a quote from Roger Milliken, who was the founder of Milliken Industries, which is a textile company in uh, Spartanburg, South Carolina, that has reinvented themselves multiple times over the decades. But Milliken has a quote that I think absolutely fits here and within this context of risk management, crisis management, business continuity. But he said that operational excellence secures your present, innovation excellence secures your future. 
And so being absolutely on top of what are the risks, how do we address them, you know, how do we manage crises, you know, what are our business continuity plans? We have to stay on top of that, both what they actually are and how we do them. So I think about processes and tools within your field, but then how are you also thinking about how we innovate those tools and processes and procedures so we get better at these things versus just get stuck doing the same old, same old, the same way. That works great right up until it doesn't. So one of the things that I thought about as you explain it is how do you practically apply? Meaning if a leadership team says, you know, hey, we haven't been thinking innovatively, we need to do that. Does that mean that they schedule an hour and they brainstorm together? Or how do they take these principles that you talked about and actually apply it to their business? The first general non-helpful answer is actually baked into the question. They need to practice. Mm. You know, practice is what makes progress. A lot of times, because we are a training and consulting firm, we do a lot of training. And again, my background's in education. Uh, But we typically end our training sessions with this, is that I hope you learned something today, but it actually doesn't matter if you learned anything today. And usually it gets some kind of strange looks like, wait a minute, we didn't we pay you to be here? Aren't we supposed to learn stuff? Like, yeah, but it doesn't matter if you learned anything because what we know is that knowledge doesn't change behavior. What changes behavior? Practice. And that can take lots of different forms. So this notion of, I think the first thing is simply identifying that we can get better at being innovative in, in whatever realm or dimension you want to be. Uh, And the second thing is, okay, well, how do we do that? So there, again, with the design thinking, there's some very specific tools and techniques and principles and practice that I believe anyone can learn. One of the other ways we describe design thinking is that for the most part, it's common sense that's just not common practice. And part of our mission is to help organizations and leaders make it more common practice. But it's identifying, all right, we can get better at this. What specific areas do we want to get better at? And then carving out time and space to actually do that, to practice those things. So they become baked into the DNA. They become baked into this is how we do things around here. I love it. My key takeaway today is knowledge doesn't change behavior. Practice does. That really ties into what we do in the risk world because we always utilize trainings and exercises to help them to progress, right? But also to understand what are the gaps and then what are the things that we need to go back and reevaluate. Absolutely. So, David, where can our listeners find you? Uh, well, I'm in my office right now. Uh, <laughs> in the digital world, we are at fasterglass.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn as David Phillips. And then we are on Facebook at Faster Glass and on Twitter at Faster Glass. And if I'm not mistaken, if you're in the Charlotte community, don't you do something on Fridays? We host a monthly breakfast series on the second Friday of every month called Forward Faster by Design, where each month we we dig into a specific topic related to innovation and design and how design thinking can fuel innovation, whether that's in the for-profit, nonprofit, government, academic sectors. Basically, anywhere where humans are involved, we think design thinking can play a role. Well, there you have it. Thanks for tuning in to Business Resilience Decoded with the Disaster Recovery Journal and Asphalus Advisors. Subscribe, share, and download and look out for future episodes. Business Resilience Decoded is produced and edited by John Seals. For more information, visit drj.com slash decoded and asphalusadvisors.com slash decoded. Write to us on Twitter at drdecoded. 